G'day, I'm Rowan Mackey and welcome to Lockdown, Character Strengths and Silver Linings, your guide to applying positive psychology in seclusion. I'm once again joined by my dad, Chris Mackey. Dad, good to be chatting with you on the podcast once again. And good to join you, Rowan. Now, today for episode two, we've called it Exercising in Exile. So we're going to be chatting a little bit about exercise today. And I will just mention for those of you who haven't heard Exercise 1, it may be worth going back and checking it out because it is a good introduction to the character strengths and particularly where we're going to use the character strengths for this podcast. So, Dad, exercising in exile, I suppose we're all a little bit in exile at the moment. So what, what are we going to be talking about today? Well, I think that physical exercise is not only about the best physical health intervention, but I think also exercise is the best mental health intervention. So we're looking at ways that we can bring more exercise into our lives when we're more restricted. Well, that's it. So obviously recognising that at the moment exercising is such an important thing and we'll go through a little bit as to why exercising is so important it is worth making that effort at the moment even when it may be a little more restrictive or uncomfortable to get out we'll also look at how we can draw in our character strengths to get around the current restrictions and and maybe do a little bit more exercise and maybe enjoy exercise a little bit more as well and how can we ensure that habits that we form will last so recognising that if we want to make changes to our routines during this period and and I suppose one of the themes for this podcast is how can we view this time in the next coming months as a bit of an opportunity to be able to look at it and say okay what is important to us and where do we want to make changes so today we're going to be having a bit of a look as to exactly how habits have formed and how you can ensure that any changes that you do make will last in the long run. And there are virtually no better habits to form than building regular physical exercise into our everyday lives. Well, that's very true and, and particularly true at the moment, Dad. So, look, if we take, you know, COVID-19, for example, and exercise is obviously something that's important all the time, but why is it particularly important during this time? Well, look, there are a number of things. We know that exercise usually is helpful for things like lowering blood pressure, and, but, but it helps prevent all illnesses pretty much or helps us be in best condition, including our heart health. And many people who are affected by COVID who are more at risk are at risk because of complicated heart conditions pre-existing. Also, it helps our lung capacity and our respiratory health exercising. But let's think of it. It really helps your immunity and we can all do with more of that at this point in time. And it's not just the physical benefits, is it? It's also the mental health benefits that are, that are incredibly important at the moment. Yes, and I think it's especially the mental health benefits of exercise that are under-recognised because what happens when we exercise, we're actually releasing endorphins and serotonin like brain chemicals that have an impact like it boosts our mood It reduces our stress and depression, helps improve our sleep, it helps improve our memory and our cognitive functioning, like our speed of thinking. And so it has a wide range of benefits on our mood, on our behaviour and on our general feeling of well-being. Well, I'm just thinking in terms of at the moment, one thing that, you know, I obviously don't have kids myself sort of thing, but uh, one thing you sort of hear, whether it's on radio and that sort of thing, with families spending a bit more time at home and not necessarily going out for school at the moment is how to 
apply structure to daily life and particularly with kids but it's also something that you know you and I go through as well if if we're stuck at home too so it really sounds to me like physical exercise is something that is a really good tool to insert some structure into your day, whether it's, you know, going for a walk in the morning or going for a jog. It is a way to just ensure that there is a bit of structure right from the start of the day. Yes, about building habits. And you're mentioning something there about, say, in our homes or in our families. If we can get exercise going, especially at times like this, within our family, within our home or our housemates or whatever. It's not just ourselves individually. We can still practice social distancing and go out and exercise, go for a jog with a friend or something like that. But also families are able to exercise together. And if we bring that in and encourage each other that way, well, that usually makes it easier for ourselves to keep motivated individually. Well, that's an interesting point. So looking at that idea of families, many people who would have had exercise routines outside of the home are now being forced to rethink those a little bit. So what intensity of exercise is needed to be able to gain the benefits from these? Are there activities at home that we can be doing that we'll still be able to receive this same benefit from even though we're not going out and doing maybe the same sort of structured exercise that we were doing before all of this? Well, I suppose if we think of the general guidelines for exercise, we might notice that even though some of these things are easy to follow if we're playing sport outside and much sport is restricted, there are still ways of applying these guidelines at the time when we're more restricted. So let's just say the general guidelines. 150 minutes of moderate exercise a week is very helpful or 75 minutes of vigorous exercise. Now, what does that relate to? Well, One way of thinking of it is we can think of vigorous exercise as playing singles tennis, whereas moderate exercise is a bit more like doubles tennis. But another alternative for moderate exercise is vacuuming, or perhaps going for a a fairly brisk walk. For vigorous exercise, maybe there are different kind of gym routines that we can work out at home as well. And, And it's also worthwhile building in muscle strengthening activities a couple of days a week. We don't even need a a particular lot of gym equipment for that. We can even use, for example, uh, someone suggested recently a a two-litre milk bottle filled with sand or something like that. Or we could use like a a bench to step up on and then step down from. Or we can be doing push-ups. Or There there are many different apps, actually, that suggest different activities that people can follow that would get our heart rate up to that vigorous level. And does age make a difference to how we respond to exercise? Well, look, generally we want to be able to generally manage at least 5,000 steps a day, even if older, because once we get below that, there are more health problems that that come in. And the ideal is aiming for about 10,000 steps a day. But look, it's natural as you age, that might be a bit unrealistic, especially if people are restricted in their movements to, say, go 10,000 steps a day and maybe even 5,000 steps a day, as much as that does make a difference. But The main thing is that we look to do what we can. They're general guidelines. And look, if I even think of an example, sometimes people are really restricted because of their physical condition. They might have a back injury. And one lady I knew that she got herself going by vacuuming half the lounge room floor. And that was something that she could do. And so aiming for that was a really worthwhile goal. And then another thing that she learned to do was with weeding in the garden, she would lie down next to a garden bed, get a bucket, and she would fill half the bucket with weeds. That was about as much as she could do. 
So I think that's the idea. That was a real success for her. That was a win. And sometimes we have to adjust our expectations if we're restricted physically to still look at doing what we can. Well, I think that's so particularly relevant at the moment with the restrictions that we all do have. But that's such an interesting example that you bring up there because it's obviously a, quite an interesting uh, use of her character strengths there to, to allow her to be able to do that and gain benefit from it. So, look, I, I think it would be worth going through some of the character strengths now and, and seeing how exercise applies to them because even just running through the list here, to me, there's some that maybe apply a little bit more obviously and there's others that maybe apply a little bit less obviously so I suppose it'd be good to talk about particularly some of the ones that apply a little bit less obviously as well so if we look at wisdom as a series of character strengths as a group of character strengths how can people use wisdom which I suppose we almost traditionally think is something a little bit more intellectual but how can we use wisdom to apply to physical exercise Okay, well, and as you say, still intellectual strengths can be good because people can, say, look up the internet and research the physical health benefits of exercise using their love of learning. But let's take another one like, say, curiosity. Like, it's wonderful to have that sense of curiosity where we're open to other people's ideas about how we can exercise when we're more restricted. And it seems to me that there's a lot more on the internet at the moment of people posting things about exercise routines that they're going through. Uh, Sometimes it might be movie stars or others sort of showing people what they do to keep fit when they're more restricted or, or even sports people might demonstrate what they do. So if we use our strength of curiosity, we'll be open to those suggestions that might help us. Well, that's something that I find really interesting as well. And obviously, I suppose creativity ties into that a little bit in the sense that the people that we come across may be using their creativity to find novel ways to exercise. But, you know, one of the uh, one of the themes that we sort of speak about on this podcast a little bit is is using this next period, this enforced period of time as a as a period of recalibration for everyone. And and look, something that I find really interesting about exercise and I suppose how it relates to sort of digital media, an area that I have interest in, is how Instagram has changed the nature of exercise over the last few years. So, you know, up until quite recently, essentially if you wanted to spend money on exercise you would either go to a gym you'd go to a a sort of military style boot camp you might sort of purchase equipment to be able to recreate those sort of uh, those situations but it was very prescriptive in the sense that there weren't many options for people who didn't want to just sort of lift weights or sort of do kind of repetitive you know people who who maybe didn't have as much sort of self-regulation didn't have as many options to exercise whereas Instagram has come through and changed that because it's provided a whole nother platform for people to be able to whether it's market their sort of alternative exercise routines we've seen a huge sort of growth in uh, sort of Instagram influences is a word I sort of don't like using a whole lot but uh We've seen a huge growth in that whole industry. So I wonder to what degree everyone sort of having a bit of time where they're forced to think in terms of these alternative ways of doing exercise, to what degree is that going to impact on some of the more traditional exercise pathways that we've seen in the past? 
Well, that's the thing. We're going to see a wider range of ways of motivating people to exercise, aren't we? As we're already seeing, as you say, on the internet. And you would have come across a whole range of websites and apps and that more than I would, that being very much your area in digital media. But just say, even with, with my exposure, uh, get a real sense that there's, uh, there's such a wide range of, of things we're exposed to now, of different ways that people are compensating for not being able to go to the gym. Look, I'll just mention too, um, I think gym owners and others like personal trainers and others will also really expand their ways of delivering their service with their expertise. I feel sorry at the moment for gym owners as an industry, how much they're impacted, but I wonder if they, like us as a psychology service, we're used to offering face-to-face kind of sessions and we've had to really adjust to telehealth. So that actually helps us innovate in different kind of ways and actually I think in future we'll see also uh, the, the, the gym owners and the personal trainers and others find different innovations that we wouldn't have otherwise thought of if we didn't have to face these restrictions. Well I think we're forced to innovate a little bit as well at the moment with, with everything that is going on and, and that's where the character strengths come in I suppose in terms of looking forward and making sure they're calibrated to our customers, they're calibrated to the people that we're still dealing with. The character strengths are a way to contextualise things, I suppose, to make sure that we're not necessarily just thinking for ourselves. We've got to play to our play to our strengths to some degree, For pardon the pun there, but at the same time we've got to recognise that other people have other strengths as well, so it's not, we, we, we can't be overly prescriptive about how we do innovate in different directions. Yeah, look, I think there's that general thing. If we want to change our behaviour or influence our behaviour in some way, it's always going to work best if it's something appeals to us. So there's a general principle that um, we're going to make a change and keep it going if we have more inner motivation or internal motivation. And that's one of the great things about looking at character strengths. These are the things that move us. These are the things that inspire us. When we act on our top strengths, it's easier to follow through. So like you say, uh, what we're on about with this podcast is thinking of individualised ways that we can motivate ourselves and more likely to keep some change going. Well, let's get back to the character strengths then, because for some people who may have done the test, they may have character strengths in areas that aren't immediately as obvious as to how it could apply to physical exercise. So if we look at courage as a group of character strengths, so obviously perseverance is one that uh, that I think we'd all quite enjoy, you know, perseverance in spades when it comes to planning an exercise routine. But one that sticks out to me is not being as obvious is bravery. So how could bravery apply to, to physical exercise a bit more? Okay, and like, like uh, as you say, people who have, say, for example, perseverance and zest, uh, wouldn't they have a natural advantage? Wouldn't that be a great combination to have? But just, just say with bravery, one of the things is not shrinking from fear. Well, just say if someone hasn't really gone for a jog for a long time, they feel a bit out of shape, they mightn't have great jogging gear, they might think that they would look pretty slow and not a wonderful sight going for a run, but, um, well... Using bravery, one thing would be to think, well, I'm going to push myself through that oh, concern about how I look. I'm not going to get too hung up on uh, whether I get approval or disapproval. I'm just going to do something worthwhile for me and my body. I'm going to go for a run and see how it goes. That would be using bravery or courage. And how about humanity? So what about kindness, for example? How could kindness relate to physical exercise? Well, I suppose the humanity strengths relate to an interpersonal side of things, don't they, like kindness or capacity to love? So I think one thing would be 
thinking of someone else who might benefit from exercise and maybe inviting them to join you on some activity that you think might suit them because that would be a a, a generous thing to do for their health. In the meantime, you'd enjoy doing something for the benefit of other people. So that would be an example. Or maybe doing some errand or task for someone else might involve like working in their garden or lifting things for them or some kind of task. And we could still go and help someone in their house and practice social isolation, just say an elderly person or someone who's physically restricted. We can do things to help other people and some of those things will be uh, will involve us being physically active. And that leads us on to our next set of character strings quite nicely, I think, because as we've spoken about previously on the podcast, we're all going to be spending a bit of extra time with our families, maybe with housemates and this sort of thing. And if we can find activities that stimulate multiple people's character strengths, even if they're in different areas, that's obviously something that's going to be of great benefit. So if we look through the justice set of character strengths, what you've just described there almost relates a little bit to leadership as well, doesn't it? So it doesn't necessarily just mean that there's a sort of prescriptive answer to all of these in the sense of creativity can be thinking of different ways to exercise or honesty can mean being honest with yourself or there are ways of combining character strengths with activities, aren't there? And, and that's probably something that is going to be beneficial for people. So it is worth applying a little bit of creativity to the use of character strengths. Yeah, that's one of the advantages of having creativity as a a basic strength. We are going to tend to think outside the square. But as you're suggesting, none of this is prescriptive. That's what I love about character strengths. We can have a play with the ideas of of what we draw on. So take the justice ones that you're mentioning earlier. A couple of things there, teamwork and leadership. We can also use our character strengths in combination. And that, that's a great combination to have when people have leadership and teamwork. Leadership being when we look to organise an activity that brings other people in together. Now, we'd often think of that as people being face-to-face, like it could be organising our friend's boot camp or something like that, but, hey, that could be done online as well. People can all be, I, I suppose, checking in on whether it be by Zoom or something else, you know more about the technology of, of what kind of programs are best for people to connect with, but people can be going through a gym routine at the same time. And if someone sets up something like that, well, that's showing leadership. If someone joins in with that and gives other people encouragement to keep on going while they're doing such an activity together, that would be teamwork. Well, I know you speak about the exercise routines online and and that sort of thing that's something that we're seeing in footy clubs at the moment everywhere and to what degree is is that going to be something that that continues on you know women's footy for example is something that we've seen that's uh, I suppose suffered a little bit from a lack of facilities so I wonder to what degree habits are going to be put in place now that are able to provide benefit on the other side and and maybe take care of some of the issues that have presented themselves recently. Yeah, look, actually, you mentioned footy, and this is a bit of an aside, but it's something I found fascinating about character strengths, when a number of years ago, I was doing some work with the Western Bulldogs on introducing character strengths to an AFL team, and we met early on as a large group and talked about character strengths, but then we broke up into specific groups, including a leadership group. Now, it's not hard to imagine this, but half the people in the leadership group There are about 18 of them, including assistant coaches and certainly the the, the leader players. But about half of them had either leadership or teamwork as one of their top strengths. 
Now, these are two strengths out of 24, so that's really against the odds. Now, no surprise that these people gravitated towards those roles, and no doubt they developed those strengths further. But I bet you, even at the moment, when people aren't able to well, get together and play games, the leaders will still be leading. One brief example is Joel Selwood. Uh, the Geelong captain was talking recently about, hey, it's really important that a lot of the players don't just allow themselves to not be so fit. People have to be ready in the event that the AFL season will resume. So he was down at Eastern Beach. Uh, my wife saw him down at Eastern Beach throwing a football with someone else or kicking a football with someone else and keeping active and all the rest of it. So he was motivating himself. But in addition, he's getting across messages to his colleagues. Hey, don't allow yourself to just sort of drift here. It's really important to stay on top of things. And he's saying, hey, look, some people are doing this better and maybe some aren't doing it so well. So he was prepared to challenge others through leadership as well as lead by example. Well, the one that comes to mind for me is Brett Ratton, the St Kilda coach. So before he sent everyone away for this sort of period of of AFL shutdown, he gave this speech, and it's actually online. It's very interesting to watch. So his message to the players before leaving wasn't just go away and make sure you stay fit and all this sort of stuff. It was actually go home and be a leader in your families. It's take on the responsibility of recognising that this is going to be a really tough time for everyone and how can you input in a positive way, in the same way that you would around the football club sort of thing. So I think that was a, a really interesting message and, and particularly to, to some of the younger players who, you know, may have gone home and sort of gone to the Xbox, PlayStation sort of thing. It just really contextualises this period for them. Is It's not actually about stepping your foot off the gas at all. It's just about recognising different ways that you can apply some of your strengths. Look, that's a fascinating example because when you think about it, the people who show leadership around a football club will think of them being, say, on the ground, um, inspiring their mates and things like that. But they'll also be the ones who, as a parent of maybe their young, early primary school children, uh, some of them will have young children, and they'll be finding different ways of getting them together and doing some things, showing leadership. And that's, that's part of using our character strengths uh, it, it's, show, it's using our character strengths in novel ways. You practice leadership in one area of your life, it will help in another. And just as an, as an aside, Ron, I suspect that a lot of our examples are going to have a bit of footy coming into it, aren't that's they? A right. bit of AFL <laughs> content. I think that's inevitable. And uh, But I, I think uh, maybe a number of people listening might have that interest as well. Yeah, well, yeah, look, sport is something that uh, that is very dear to my heart and I am missing it very much at the moment. So I do apologise to everyone out there who doesn't enjoy sport if some of my uh, passions do bubble over from time to time. <laughs> well, I share some of them. Yeah. Well, let's, let's get back to the character strengths now. So looking at temperance, for example. So temperance is something that, again, doesn't necessarily immediately lend itself to the idea of physical exercise. But what about the idea of, say, forgiveness? Um, yes, again, because the more obvious one for temperance is self-regulation or self-control. And again, how lucky are you if you have that? That's going to be a lot easier to stay on track. But just say something like forgiveness. Well, look, I would have thought one of the things with that um, uh, well, giving people a second chance. Um, well, just say if you've organised 
to uh, meet with someone for a walk or whatever and they haven't shown up and you're pretty disappointed about that or whatever, you feel maybe a little bit let down, you've arranged some activity, gone out of your way to organise it. And um, uh, But I think you know, being a bit forgiving, the person might have had a reason for not showing up or whatever. Yeah, that might not be a great example, but I'm just trying to think off the top of my head of well, how that, we could do that. That's when I find... It's interesting because it's not necessarily just about the here and now in the sense of it's not just about how can I motivate myself to get off the couch and go and exercise. It's actually taking a bit, maybe maybe applying a bit more perspective and taking a bit of a broader approach to sort of say, well, actually, how can I not demotivate myself so much for the next time that I'm put in a position where I may be able to go out and I don't necessarily want to be the one who flakes on the next time sort of thing. So I actually find that one interesting because it is it is a little bit different from the others in the sense that it is more broad and you do take a bit more of a, a broader approach when looking at it. Actually, now we're talking about it, it reminds me, um, forgiveness often is a very relevant thing for many, many clients that we see who are struggling with depression and different reactions. And so often when we think of forgiveness, we think of forgiving someone else. But when sometimes people have a top strength of forgiveness and they're fantastic at forgiving other people, but not too good at forgiving themselves. And it can make a big difference when we kind of redefine it, say, look, here's your top strength of forgiveness. How about if you use that for a bit of self-compassion? And self-compassion means, hey, look, I'm struggling right now. This is difficult. The second part is that, well, that's common humanity. Well, so is everyone. You know, that's fair enough. Anyone or anyone in this situation might find that really difficult. And the third thing about self-compassion is doing things to sort of, well, help you feel a bit better, help yourself feel a bit better or whatever. But it's giving yourself a break. And this is important when we talk later on about habits and establishing habits. We're all going to have lapses. We're not going to be perfect. And so if we have a lapse, a lot of it is how we deal with that. Now, if we can be a bit self-forgiving and think, all right, well, look, I slipped up a bit there, but, you know, that's fair enough. You know, many, many people would. I don't have to be perfect, uh, but I'm, I'm really interested in doing what I'm doing. Uh, it's really worth doing this. Now, if people show that kind of forgiveness, then a lapse will tend not to turn into a relapse. So forgiveness is a very important character strength to sometimes apply to ourselves as well. That's really interesting and, and again, particularly relevant when we're going to be having a prolonged period at home and, look, you'd know more about this than me, but I imagine the potential could be there for people to get in a bit of a rut, for lack of a better term, in the, in the sense of now that we do have a number of months at home, you don't necessarily want to set the tone so negatively for yourself and that's where having forgiveness and if you're someone who has forgiveness as a lower strength, uh, that's where it may be worth bolstering your lower strengths in this sense. Uh, that's a really good point. Now, if we've got something as a lower strength, it doesn't mean that we don't have it. So if forgiveness is a particularly low strength, then we might get some real benefit by even looking up a, a, a blog on self-compassion, even on our website in the resources section. We've got a blog on self-compassion. It talks about ways that we can be a bit more forgiving for ourselves if we're not used to that. Uh, because that is one of the main things that's a contributor to depression if people don't show themselves that self-compassion. But also if forgiveness for ourselves is lower and also if we feel that we've got in a bit of a rut, all the more reason to turn to our other strengths. Like we said, it might be kindness, it might be courage and being prepared to get out there even if we don't look as fit as anyone else or whatever, but you know, we're going to push ourselves a bit with that. Or because of our curiosity, we want to see, well, how do, do we feel differently if we go for like three jogs a week 
or go for a couple of walks with a friend. I'll be curious. I'll see if it makes a difference to me. So is it a matter of, for lack of a better term, competing imperatives in the sense of is it a matter of recognising maybe areas where we're being held back by our set of strengths and recognising areas where we can progress forward by our set of strengths and maybe working out ways that we can sort of tip the scale in the progression sense, if that makes any sense at all. Look, I think this might relate to what what you're saying. Sometimes people ask, well, what is it best to do? Is it best to really play to our top strengths and focus on that? Or are we best off uh, bolstering our lower strengths? Yeah. Well, look, I think the idea with positive psychology is generally, in the first instance, first of all, play to your strengths because that's what comes most naturally to you. And you're running with the tide, you've got the wind at your back, you know, that, that can help you get going. And when we talk about exercise, the main thing at first is to start getting going, get, get yourself moving. But when, when we look at the research in positive psychology, there's not just evidence to show that we're better off if we, say, find a couple of our top strengths and use them in combination, but equally we can get benefit if we use a top strength that helps us compensate for a lower one. For example, if we are low on forgiveness, we might use our teamwork or sense of joining in with other people to try and conjure a situation where it's not just us, but it's someone else that we're doing something with. So our interest in teamwork helps us get going and beyond that like self-critical kind of stage. Well, that's really interesting. And that's where as well, I suppose it comes back to the idea that the character strengths don't work separate from each other all the time and that it is worth viewing our strengths as relative to each other in terms of our own strengths profile rather than looking at, okay, how does judgment figure in? How does honesty figure in? Well, that might be different for different people sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. And there's there's no right and wrong with this. Again, I think it gets back to the idea of having a play with it because, again, it might be more obvious for exercise if our strengths are you know, self-control, zest and perseverance, again, that might naturally make it a bit easier. But any of the 24 character strengths can apply in some way to help us get up and get moving. Well, just to finish off with our list of character strengths here, I suppose if there's one of the character strengths that stands out to me is uh, is maybe not as necessarily being obvious uh, for, for how it relates to exercise, and that's gratitude in the, in the transcendence category of character strengths. So how could something like gratitude apply? Well, gratitude is such a wonderful strength to have generally. And, and those who are high on gratitude tend to enjoy a higher level of well-being than average. And it's this natural tendency to appreciate appreciate something that is good or worthwhile or recognise how we might be you know, quite well off in some ways or better off than a lot of others. So one of the ways I think of gratitude and exercise is being grateful for our bodies, being grateful for what our bodies can do. And that's an important thing to learn. Look, as a, a clinical aside, when we see people with eating disorders, Often people are very focused on that cultural ideal of thinness and restricting food as a result of that, and that can lead to massive kind of problems because of an over-concern about like, how we look, that superficial element. But one of the things that can really help people gradually move forward from that is to really think in terms of what our bodies can do. It's quite remarkable how we can move, how we can digest 
how it can just breathe, how, uh, look, even even when we sleep, look, this is an aside, but around three or four o'clock every morning, what happens is in our brain, the cells of our brain, the walls open up and lead to a flushing out of toxins. So after that, we're so much clearer. And that's why sometimes people who meditate, uh, many mystics who meditate, meditate around four o'clock in the morning and they called it the time when they were closest to God. Now, isn't this amazing that like thousands of years ago they had that sense? And this is to do with this wondrous thing that happens with our body and our brain all happening by itself. How amazing is that? Or even immunity. How amazing is it that we've got these T-cells that back up our initial response to, say, something like COVID-D or a coronavirus, and then what happens is this second wave of immunity, these T-cells have an idea of what the intruder is like and specifically adapt them to knocking out the coronavirus cells. That is just amazing. Now, now we might as well bolster our immunity. If we're going to be very grateful for our bodies and what we do, hey, let's help our bodies. Our bodies are doing so much for us. Let's think of what we can do for our body. I think gratitude would be a terrific quality to have there. That is really interesting, and it kind of leads us nicely into our next topic, actually, which is our how new habits are actually formed. So now we've got our own sort of roadmap for how we can apply the character strengths in our own way to exercise. So how is it that we can ensure that changes that we do make in our life now will be there once all this is over? Well, look, I think the first thing is to take a bit of pressure off. So we are looking to follow through. We are looking to increase our exercise levels, perhaps. Many of us will be falling short of those recommended guidelines or the 10,000 steps a day. So, but, but the first thing is, is being a bit forgiving for ourselves because we basically want to get going further. It's what we can do and then say improving on that. So I reckon the thing is start anywhere with adding something extra into our routines do something that might be enjoyable or rewarding and certainly a bit accessible. Like one thing that's accessible is, well, walking out your front door and observing social isolation or going for a walk, you know, from your own home and then back to your home. Uh, But there also could be different uh, things. Well, there's a garden. If you enjoy being in the garden, well, that's activity, that's exercise as well to a degree. Then being open to what other kind of things might take it a step further. So if you're doing different activities that maybe the more moderate exercise are not so much vigorous, then one thing that makes a difference is thinking, well, well, what's a more accessible way or might be a doable way of taking it a next step? So for some people that will be say, through curiosity or whatever, looking up the internet and getting tips on what they might do. For someone else, it might be kind of like teamwork, so they might look at um, uh, or, or you know, capacity to love. They love connecting with friends, so they think, well, how can I get someone else to do something with me to take a next step? But basically, think of something that might be able to build a bit more into our routine. And that's the other thing. Once we start doing something and do a bit more of it, How do we make it last? Well, it helps to monitor it. Have some kind of way of measuring or gauging our activity if we want to increase it. Like how many times have we gone for a run or a walk? Now, some people will use sports watches or whatever, which is fantastic to motivate yourself and you know how far have you run or some people might test themselves out with how fast they run. Now, that's an obvious form of monitoring, 
But we can all monitor in terms of it might be on the calendar. We just put a little W for we went for a walk that day. Or we might just sort of keep a bit of a note to ourselves of how much time we are spending in vigorous or moderate exercise if we want to get ourselves going. And, but part of the idea of monitoring is that we can also reward ourselves. We might even set a target. Hey, this week, all right, I'm not even expecting to get to the, say, 100 minutes, uh, 150 minutes of moderate, moderate exercise. I'll work up towards that. But look, I'll aim for 100 and see how I'll go. I'll look for three times a week, I'll go for a half an hour walk and I'll do the vacuuming on another day, that kind of thing. Now, if we have some kind of reward for ourselves, it might be buying something online. Who knows? It might be a, a piece of that, um, well, that gym equipment's pretty hard to get a hold of at the moment, isn't it? I understand. But, um, but, but by the same token, look, it might be anything that, 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 that makes you feel good as a reward. So basically, find something doable and then look to build on it. Give yourself a pat on the back each time you've done something. That, that in itself is a reward. But have some kind of notion of monitoring it so you can see the increase. If you can see the increase and tell yourself, you know, being grateful for your body, hey, this is what I'm doing for my body. You know, feel, feel good about that. So you monitor it, you reward yourself with the pat on the back and that, but you might also even think of some other kind of reward. For, for many people actually getting together with a, with a friend to engage in exercise can be a reward in itself. And so how long do you have to keep something going to ensure that the changes last? So how do we differentiate from, say, me recognising a, a novel activity that I've found sort of in isolation that I enjoy in this situation? How do I ensure that it then sort of graduates into something that's going to be more part of my routine when I suppose it's challenged by some of these restrictions that we're faced at the moment being lifted? Okay, well, forming habits. I think there's some fascinating things about this that come up from brain science. But if we go back to the general thing, it seems to me from working with lots of people looking to change their behaviour in many ways, including getting over addictions like quitting smoking or something like that, establishing a new habit takes about four months. And one way that we see that is that we'll take addictions. If someone quits smoking, 90% of relapses are going to happen in the first four months. So if people can get through the first four months, they're much more likely to continue on with a habit of not smoking. I've also seen this with people with problems with losing their temper. And so they wanted to work on controlling their anger reactions better. And typically, if people really persisted at different ways of managing their anger, looking at sort of, you know, leaving the situation, calming themselves down, you know, talking to themselves through it, if people found ways of reacting to their anger without sort of uh, losing their temper, after four months, uh, after four months of maintaining a change, it tended to stick, even if they'd had real long-term problems with anger. There was that kind of improvement. So... Any kind of activity, building in an extra exercise routine into our lives. I imagine many people in the past who went to a gym or a Zumba class or boot camp, I'll bet getting up in the morning and going there and following through was often you know, like a bit easier and more established, more like the thing that you felt like doing after about four months plus. Now, this relates partly to the brain science. Oh, but, but so the, the general thing that I would tend to say to people is you change your behaviour for like a few days or a week or two, big deal, uh, you change your behaviour. If you change your behaviour for four months, then you've built a habit. 
If you change your behaviour for two years, you've altered your personality functioning. So at first we look to do something new, which is like rewarding, accessible, it's doable, build it into a routine, keep it going for four months. Then we've got a habit. Keep on going beyond that. Build it into your life. So then being active is part of your personality functioning. It's part of your ongoing ways of being. And so um, getting back to the brain science now. Now, if we do some kind of novel activity, like first time in a long time you've picked up your running shoes and you're going for a jog around a certain kind of circuit. You've not run before. But you do something new, you do something novel. Now, we can form a new synapse in 90 minutes. So learning a new activity, if we learn a new kind of exercise, practice it for 90 minutes, we've formed a new synapse, which is a connection between brain cells. You do something new, a new habit for four weeks, a month, you've established a new brain cell or a new neuron in a neural network. After four months, those brain cells mature. So it's like a vine growing, a new habit means that there are changes in our brain connections, like this brain network that underlies the new behaviour. And once we've established those brain connections, that neural network, you know, four months plus, it makes it easier to keep on going. Does that mean that you have to do something for 90 minutes to be able to form that first synapse? Or could it be that, say, for example, if you did something 20 minutes a day for a week, could that also give the same effect? Okay, now look, this is a little bit how I'd um, speculate that. And in some ways, uh, I don't know the exact science with this, but this is how I think how it goes. I found sometimes in the past, like some physical activity, or you watch other people in surfing lessons, and you see that they seem to get much more balance in about the third half hour. The first hour, flip-flopping off the board, that kind of thing. But by the time an hour and a half lesson has gone... Then often you see a lot of people are standing up. And I've found that myself in the past with like say a windsurf or something like that. That 90 minutes, I think it's reflected the new synapses forming and more formed after that time. But I think that, uh, well, a lot of things take 90 minutes like also a movie or a stage play or something like that. So I think that's naturally playing on that tendency for us to form well, the mechanics behind a new awareness. But just say if we do some new activity for 20 minutes, yes, I think it still can form new synapses because we'll be reflecting on it. It's not just the 20 minutes that we're doing it. It's actually shifted our awareness. We'll reflect on it. We might think, oh, I'll do that tomorrow as well. It's not as if after the 20 minutes we've suddenly stopped processing that kind of activity. So doing something new and having a mindful interest in it and keeping on going, I think will reliably not just build new habits, but the neural structure that underlies it in our brains. That's really interesting. And I think that's potentially where the idea of visualisation comes in as well, because you know, you hear in sport all the time about the benefits of being able to visualise something is potentially equal or at least similar with, uh, with, with completing the activity in itself. So does this also relate to, they talk about the idea of, say, the 10,000 hours to master something. Is that also related to this idea of potentially being related just a little further down the line in terms of our brain chemistry? 
Now, that gets a complex one again, but I think that there is a lot in that 10,000 hours idea. Like for me, as a, as a therapist, I felt I really was hitting my straps after about 10 years. Now, funnily enough, that would have been after 10 years of about 1,000 you know, individual therapy sessions a year, about the 10,000 hours. So that's a personal way I related to that. And I know that's something that Malcolm Gladwell has emphasised, yeah. the 10,000 hours. And, and, and that's partly to do with what we would call implicit kind of learning or implicit processing. Like just say if it's a firefighter, if a firefighter has been observing fires for 10 years, they can get this real, or 10,000 hours, sorry, they can get this uncanny knack of, say, being in a house, as Malcolm Gladwell used this example, like going into, in, into a house and there's flames and the, and the fire captain suddenly says to everyone, get out of here, get out of here, and then they, they all rush out and then suddenly the floor falls in. And they say to him, how on earth did you know the, fall, the floor was going to fall in? We would, have, we would have been really badly injured or killed. He said, well... I don't know exactly how I know. I just, I just kind of knew. I just felt that's what we had to do. That's the kind of implicit learning. So there'll be all sorts of magical things happening at a level of our brain structure for for that to work. But um, look, 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 my mind can barely fathom how that could possibly work. But I'm sure there's some underlying brain structure to that. Fortunately, we don't have to do ten thousand <laughs> hours of practice and exercise to get any good at it. Yeah. But I suppose it does, it almost brings us back to that idea of do what you can do in the sense that you're going to be gaining benefit from it the whole time wherever you can. Your brain's sort of working off, I think they talk about 90% of our brain activity being sort of subconscious. So that idea of doing what you can, where you can, it's all going to have benefit somewhere, I imagine. It is. And actually, how we can speed up learning, that reminds me what you're saying there. It's the idea of deliberate practice. If we have some mindful, deliberate practice, like just say if we're playing a musical instrument, it's the deliberate practice where we're really focusing on something. We might be doing scales in a disciplined way. We look to do it sort of um, uh, again and again, not get too frustrated by our mistakes or whatever, but building a pattern or routine. That's the kind of thing that helps. And I would say that with, um, with exercise as well. Look to build a routine because that's got a mindful element to it. It builds in a bit of discipline or self-regulation, even if we don't have that as such a top strength in the first place. Getting routines going can help. And that's something that I find interesting from a sporting perspective as well, in the sense if you look at, I suppose, the greatest in all these sports, you hear about sort of Lionel Messi, Tiger Woods, Roger Federer, people like that. I suppose the one thing from my perspective anyway that separates them is it is talent, but it's also the, the way that they train, for example. So, like I know Andre Agassi, when he was a kid, would hit 5,000 balls before lunch, and then he was only able to get his lunch once he'd hit 5,000 balls. And then after lunch, he'd hit another 5,000 balls. So, it's not just about having talent, for example, in that context. It is actually about putting in the hours in such a deliberate way that you're going to be able to gain the benefit exponentially more than someone who's just been there and turned up and may have had the talent to get them through to different pathways and suddenly they're in the you know NFL or the AFL or whatever it is if you can apply that deliberate practice you're just going to be exponentially better off than someone who hasn't done that. It's funny you mentioned that because just this morning I saw a video clip on the news of, um, of Roger Federer doing this wonderful little exercise where he's hitting a tennis ball standing really close to a wall with the line for the net on it. He's just hitting it back and forth really, really quickly. It's like for volley practice kind of thing. And he's wearing a hat. 
Now, funnily enough, this has become a real meme. It's become a real thing. People are all um, getting out their tennis rackets and uh, finding a wall and, uh, and wearing a hat and posting uh, pictures of themselves, videos of them doing this exercise and, and sending it to friends and all the rest of it. That's a wonderful example of doing something, doing anything. But we can imagine the level of deliberate practice that Roger Federer will be doing for that. And like you're saying, it's when people do have that discipline of doing something repetitively like that, that's really what builds our, our capacities and, and abilities. But even for most of us, just getting out and doing an exercise like that and then finding our own things that are likely to be more lasting, that, that, that's the way of going about it. And how does age make a difference to the way we're able to form habits? Well, look, I think in some ways when we're, when we're younger, it's sort of we're a little bit more plastic in our brains and some things can be a bit easy, but actually we can change our behaviour at any stage. Even people, quite frankly, people who are dementing can still learn to do things differently. It's just that if someone's dementing to learn, say, where their room is in a nursing home, it might help if it has, say, a different coloured door to give them a cue or whatever. And so sometimes we can make it easier for ourselves to learn something by building a bit of structure uh, that, that gives us some, some cues. But look, the main thing is we can learn at any age. And, and it was, used to be thought that our brains were, uh, because our brains could be fully mature, at say 25 for women, about 27 for men, that'd be right, wouldn't it? Men would take a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah, okay. No comment. Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> As so, a 26 year old male, no uh, comment. Okay, you've got a little way to go, but you, you're just about there. But, 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 but when it comes to, say, learning, it used to be thought that we formed no new brain cells, basically, in adult life. But now we know that we do form new brain cells. And actually, I think it's, it's something like about 1,600 or 1,800 new brain cells a day in the hippocampus, a part of the brain that relates to memory. So we created these new brain cells each day, stem cells, especially from physical exercise. But to keep those brain cells, we need to engage in new learning. So it's novelty or new learning that takes these stem cells and like we were saying before, that 90 minutes to uh, create a new synapse. So it takes these stem cells and, and when you're actually looking to learn a new activity, within seconds of doing something novel, it switches on th these genes that create proteins that start to build, uh, the, these um, uh, connections start to build out towards each other like each side of the Sydney Harbour Bridge. It starts off within seconds, this machinery, and then after 90 minutes, the two arcs of the bridge, the two sides are formed to form a connection. Now, if we're engaging in new learning or mindful activity of any sort, really paying attention to something or doing something new, we'll take those new stem cells and we'll help them form into neural networks and strengthen neural networks. After a month, the brain, uh, we develop brain cells. After four months, those brain cells mature. So there's this renewal happening all through life. So it might be so much more, like say, efficient our learning and flexibility when we're young, but this happens even in the very elderly. Basically, it happens until we die. That's part of the wonder of our bodies, minds and brains. And I think that's where exercise relates so much to the themes of this podcast in terms of looking at this period that we're all going to be going through as an opportunity because regardless of whether it's learning a musical instrument or learning a new skill, exercise is going to be something that's going to stimulate our brains in a way that we're going to be able to gain the most benefit from that. 
Absolutely, and, and exercise helps us sleep better. And when we sleep, we're consolidating the learning we did during the day. So if people have learnt some new activity, and that night they have very disrupted sleep, they won't have, won't have retained that activity so well. They won't have learned it so well. And that's partly because of what's happening in our body and our brain's architecture. So if we get good sleep, even while we're asleep, we're consolidating this new learning. Again, it's wondrous. And so just before we go, is there anything else about exercise that you think it would be worth mentioning? Okay, well, look, again, this draws on more a, a clinical or a therapy kind of setting, but we see many people who are clinically depressed. That's one of the more common kind of uh, reasons why people might see a psychologist. And at any one point in time, uh, one in 20 people in the general population is likely to be clinically depressed. And so that's a pretty significant condition affecting our mood, our sleep, our concentration, our interest in activities. Now... The remarkable thing is a certain amount of exercise works about as well as antidepressant medication, at least for mild and moderate depression. And that's if people engage in about three hours of exercise a week, which is of an aerobic type, so jogging is wonderful, or that involves brief, intense effort. So that can also include weightlifting or something like that. But so three hours of aerobic exercise a week has a significant antidepressant effect. And if we put it in perspective with kids as well, say children aged between 8 and 12 are three times more likely to be depressed if they're inactive. Now, this is the clinical population I'm talking about, or people who seek help for problems with depression. But, well, let's face it, all of us are going to be a little bit more susceptible to low moods, aren't we, at this stage, with being restricted. That's, that's natural. So anything that we can do that builds in an antidepressant effect, get that serotonin going and all the rest of it, well, that's really worth doing. So even beyond the usual recommendations of, say, you know, two and a half hours of moderate exercise, just over an hour of vigorous exercise a week, if we can get it up, if the, those of us to get it to three hours a week, that's likely quite powerful in influencing our brain chemistry. That's really interesting. And as you say, something that is going to come in handy for all of us over the next little while, and, and particularly those of us with kids or, or having access to kids, that's, that's quite, a, quite a stark figure, actually. That, yeah, I was a bit surprised by that one. So... Look, Dad, I've really enjoyed today. And look, I just want to say as well, thank you to everyone who's gotten in touch as well. And particularly those uh, through the email at podcast at chrismackey.com.au. Uh, we really appreciate all your feedback. And, and look, going forward, this podcast is going to be something that is made better by your input as well. So please feel free to, to get in touch and let us know if there's any things that you're struggling with that you think would be good to chat about, whether there's any novel ways that you found of applying your character strengths that others may benefit from hearing or even whether you've just enjoyed the podcast or not yeah we we, we really appreciate the feedback that we've received so far but that, that, that's the thing that'll make it the most enjoyable for us and also the most interesting it'll be other people's suggestions that really count and just just the, the final thing i'd like to say is there's that wonderful expression that necessity is the mother of invention well let's face it we need to be engaged in exercise, to be able to do the best thing for not just our bodies but also for our minds. And if we're going to invent, no better way than referring to our top character strengths and using our character strengths to help us establish further routines of exercise. Thanks, everyone, and until next week. And thanks, Ryan. I've enjoyed talking about exercise 
and sport with you. <laughs>